0: If you're paying attention, you'll realize that uh, there's some overlap from last week. Pastor Rick actually preached on verses 1 to 7, so um, hopefully I'll be building on and adding to what was taught um, about the truth that God is our stability in an uncertain world. Um, Statistics show that 18% of adults in the United States, approximately 40 million adults have anxiety disorders. They estimate that it might be as high as 30% to people not seeking help, mixed diagnosis, or just not being aware that they have any issues. If that's true, it means almost a third of adults are dealing with anxiety issues at some level. And severe anxiety manifests itself in specific phobias, uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, and depression. According to the economic burden of anxiety disorder study, more than $42 billion a year is spent on anxiety disorders. That is almost a third of the total mental health bill in the US. And so while some seek treatment, uh, many self-medicate using drugs or alcohol, other forms of avoidance, and so to cope with anxiety and stress, many just turn to meditation, physical activity, seeking peace through relationships, financial security, Um, Some of us just go on a long uh, vacation, and then we have to pay for it, and the anxiety returns right back, doesn't it? So the question is, how do you deal with anxiety? How are you seeking peace? Or more importantly, how should we? Um, Pray with me. Lord, uh, I thank you for your word, uh, for the opportunity to be used by you this morning. You are the God of joy, you are the God of peace, and we find that peace only in you. Um, guide my words today uh, as, we, as we talk about um, your joy, your peace, um, having faith in you. Uh, God, prepare our hearts to be, to be changed by your word Uh, We thank you and praise you. Amen. All right. So, as I looked at this passage, what came across to me is that, that the Christian's struggle between joy and peace and anxiety and doubt is about trust in God. And what that trust in God looks like is a relationship of gratitude, a transformed mind, and a life of imitation, So why did I put peace and joy together? They're not the same, but they are interconnected. Peace can be both a subjective experience and it can be this objective state of affairs between two parties formally at war with one another. As Christians, we were God's enemies, and through Christ, we have peace with God. And that's not necessarily the kind of peace we're talking about today, but it is the prerequisite for all of what we're going to talk about today. Both joy and peace are dependent on God. Peace and joy are related to the removal of anxiety, but joy can be rooted in other aspects of God as well. Peace is a protection so that joy can flourish, and joy animates peace so it can be fully experienced. I tied doubt and anxiety together because I think think it helps us to see the connection between worry and lacking trust in God. If I say that doubt is the lack of confidence in God, most would say, well, duh, of course. But when I say anxiety is not trusting God, we say, wait a minute, I trust God. I lay my worries at the foot of the cross. I just pick them back up for safekeeping. Doubt is not being sure that you can trust that God is real. But anxiety is not being sure that you can really trust God. So anxiety can be more, and more momentary um, depending on the circumstances, but both reject God's peace and ult- ultimately our joy in Him. And so Paul begins our passage by saying, Rejoice. And joy is a prominent and recurring theme in Philippians. We know that. The, Uh, This command can be obeyed even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of hardship and scarcity, because joy isn't dependent on favorable circumstances, but it's dependent on standing firm in the Lord. This is verse one from last week. So, to have joy is to express confidence in God. Paul continues that we as Christian believers are known by our gentleness, we are to be known by our gentleness and our reasonableness, even on Facebook. This means that we are not to be easily offended. Again, when our confidence and stability is in Christ, we shouldn't get our feathers ruffled easily. Jesus says in uh, John 16:13, "...these things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace." In the world, you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And so Jesus is bigger and better than, well, any accusation or name-calling or threat. And Paul is calling his readers to respond to what he has already taught in the letter. Back in chapter 2, that Christ is the prime example of humility. He gave up his glory for our benefit. In John 17, 22, uh, he says that he gives us his glory in himself. We have true glory so that we shouldn't be concerned with reputation and prestige. Because we have contentment, we can extend mercy, and we can extend leniency towards others' faults and failures. And then we have less anxiety and more joy. And the secret of it is at the end of verse 5, where it says, the Lord is near, or the Lord is at hand. Now, nearness could mean in time or it could mean in space. Paul could be referring to the hope we have in Christ's return, but I think he means th- that it's the way in which God's presence is available to help us people in our lives right now. We were reminded this, of this in verses like De- Deuteronomy 4:7: "For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him?" And Psalm 34 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Okay. When we look at verses 6 and 7, there's three sections. The first is this idea of not being anxious. The second is about prayer. And the third is about having peace. Instead of having anxiety, we are to pray. We are to talk to God about our worry and ask Him to take away our anxiety. The way that we do that is by giving Him our burdens, giving Him our worries and our concerns. We see this in Psalm 55, 22. He says to cast your burdens on God. 1 Peter 5, 7 says that we can cast our anxieties on Him because He cares. And so the emphasis isn't on how we pray, but on the God who has come, who hears us, who is with us. We are less anxious and afraid when we know that we're not alone. In the mere presence of another human being, we are calmed. If holding someone's hand when all seems dark uh, can quiet our fears, how much more the presence of the one with all power and all authority. And Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. John 14:27, Jesus says, "'Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful.'" <clears throat> do we believe that? Is that, not, is that reality not bigger than our troubles? Do our hearts not rejoice with thanksgiving at this truth? So, peace resides in the person of Jesus. In a world where peace seems impossible, we want to live lives that rejoice and respond in gratitude, that real peace is available in the Prince of Peace. Because God is near and God cares, we can give thanks. And when we pray with gratitude, it's a demonstration of our belief that God can and will accomplish what we ask of Him. Notice Paul uses words like nothing and everything to keep us from thinking that there's some small sector of worry that we can keep to ourselves. We are relieved and grateful when we believe that all difficulties are within God's purposes. This includes the unknown and even pain and death. And is the connector here that means the effect or the result of our prayer is the peace of God. Yes, God will take away our anxiety, but we will also get more from God. Peace is is much fuller, it's a much fuller term than simply the absence of anxiety. Better than any human calculating uh, strategy or solution, God's peace is a transcendent calm, even in the worst trials. And so divine peace surpasses, goes beyond human intellect, examination beyond human understanding. God's ways are not as our ways. He is the ruler of this upside-down kingdom where the first will be last and the last will be first. In the Christian life, will we trust in the good purpose of our holy, powerful, sovereign, infinite God in every difficulty? As believers, we have made peace with God. We have ceased being God's enemies and have become His children. Now we can enjoy the, the peace of God, inner tranquility in the soul of the soul granted by God. This is the direct answer to the prayer of anxiety. And so there's lots of verses that talk about God's peace, but I just keep coming back to this psalm. And maybe because we were just in Ireland, where we drove past miles and miles and miles of beautiful countryside and sheeps. And I drove my wife crazy with this because sheep is the plural of sheep, but there were so many sheep that there were sheeps. And I said, look, more sheeps. There's the sheeps. And David, a former shepherd himself, describes this kind of peace as the experience of a sheep protected and guided by a good and loving shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a good life. That's a life of peace. And this peace will guard our hearts and minds. Paul uses a military term here to keep watch over. So God's peace guards believers from anxiety. It guards us from doubt and fear and sorrow in both our hearts where we feel that anxiety and our minds where we can just keep reeling over and over and over the scenarios of worry. God blesses and then, and then our response is to obey. The gospel is to be lived out, not in the sense that it's a plan to be executed or an ideal to which we strive, but it's a response into which we trust God and His ways to grow us, to change us, so that we can be used by Him to love and to serve and to share about His saving gospel, thereby blessing others, rinse and repeat. Paul commands us to dwell on or to think about these things the Greek word here means more than just entertaining thoughts, but to evaluate, to consider, to calculate. The Christian life is one where deep and proper thinking is not optional. We are to consider the qualities Paul describes and then contemplate them. We're to meditate on them, not in the Eastern emptying of our mind's way, but in the filling which, of what is beautiful, what is true, and what is good. Paul calls, it, calls his readers to a life of obedience in our thinking, the right response to the peace of God. And so there's no doubt that people's lives are the products of their thoughts. Proverbs 23:7 says, "'For as he thinks within himself, so he is.'" Jesus said in Mark 7 that what is in our hearts manifests our behavior. Our actions are the results of our thinking. And as Christians, we need to be careful and intentional about our thinking. Flip over to Matthew 6. Uh, Stay in uh, Philippians, but just flip there. Matthew 6.25, turn there with me. It's kind of a long section. Matthew 6.25, it says, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink nor for your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet the heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worthy? Are you not worth more, much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to your life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow." They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And so Stan Matthew there just for another minute. He says, he says their faith is small, but he's reasoning with them. Jesus is essentially saying, think about it. He's saying, it doesn't make sense. Reason with me here. Transform your mind with regard to worry. We're anxious when we're overwhelmed by our circumstances, and we give in to worry, and we stop thinking. So, study and meditate and practice trusting in those things that are true and good and beautiful, and your faith will ground you in the peace of God. Now, continuing in verse 32, Jesus Jesus grounds this. He grounds it in our relationship with God, saying, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Then he calls us to obedience and that we live lives that seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He says, reason well. God loves you. Seek after him. That's my whole sermon right there. The reality is that thinking is harder than feeling. It takes work. It's an act of worship. And so Matthew 22:37 uh says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. Colossians 3, 1 to 2 says, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And so, yes, these are virtues that we are commanded to meditate on, but they are also aspects of God's nature so that in studying them in our minds, we are practicing theology. They're seen in God's creation of mankind, other creatures, the earth, the, the entire universe. And so that to study them is to seek God, and to stand in awe of them is to give praise to the Creator. For us to dwell on and affirm these virtues is to try to put ourselves in harmony with God, to imitate God. As we think about these virtues of truth and beauty and goodness, we are engaging God with our minds, with our imaginations, and with our conscience. So, I love comic books and I love movies, especially superhero movies and fantasy and sci fi. And there are great themes of good and evil, of justice and sacrifice, but there's also violence and vigilanteism. There's uh, characters with godlike abilities, and unfortunately, other adult themes sometimes. I like politics. I want to think well about how we govern ourselves with regard to economics and ensuring justice, freedoms, peace, protection, especially as it relates to allowing the church to be a witness of Christ and share the gospel. But if I saturate myself in politics, I become anxious. I like apologetics, and you might ask, well, how can defending the faith be detrimental? And ultimately it's not. In fact, I think it's incredibly faith-promoting, but it can be very dark dealing with cults and the occult and those that are hostile to God. We need to be aware of what we are filling our minds with. I'm certainly not saying that we become hermits and just live in a cave, severing any connection with the outside world. We're called to be in this world, but we need to be thoughtful and discerning about how we're impacted by it. We aren't to be influenced indiscriminately. We aren't to be unaware of what we we're being exposed to or what we we're exposing ourselves to. We aren't to be just tossed around like leaves on the wind by any philosophy or doctrine or idea. We also aren't to be indulging in or actively pursuing the things that aren't of God. That which is opposed to God is sin. But instead of giving a list of don'ts, Paul gives us a list of dues. We're not to just avoid darkness, but we're to also walk as children of light. And so Jesus says in his high priestly prayer to the Father, your word is truth. God's word, including his commandments and judgments, are all true. And so we are to dwell on the truths of the Bible. If we were to be firmly planted, without doubt, without anxiety and fear, we are to delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. All the rest of the virtues mentioned here are based on the truth of God's word. The question is, are we focusing on things that are true? Things that are true about God, things that are true about ourselves, things that are true about others. Anxiety can invade our lives when we believe lies meant by Satan to destroy us. There's this negative tape recorder that begins to play in our heads. I'm dumb, and I'm fat, and I'm ugly, I have no worth, I'm unloved, I'm unwanted, with no hope. These need to be countered with the truths of Scripture and the promises of God. Do they match up with God's revelation? If the answer is no, then they need to be thrown out of our minds. God calls us to dwell on truth. The world isn't focused on thinking about truth, much less biblical truth. People no longer ask, is it true, but does it work? And even more, how does it make me feel? And so pragmatism and emotion, specifically positive emotion, determine truth in our post-Christian culture. So truth is under attack, and we should care about truth because if truth loses meaning, then to say that God is truth and talk about the truth of the gospel will be incomprehensible for those we are talking to. The word for honorable or noble means that which inspires reverence or awe, dignified, worthy of respect. So Paul uses the word to express to Timothy the qualities required in those that he would choose as deacons and as elders in the church. He says all Christians should lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This means that Christians are to live in light of eternity, we understand that there is a limited time on earth and that the reality of heaven and hell is imminent. That doesn't just, that doesn't mean we can't enjoy life. In fact, we're to have great joy in the Lord, but that we have a purpose as God's children to share the gospel and be about the supremacy of Christ. As believers, we have to guard against filling our minds with the trivial and the temporary, which is earthly. Right or just, refers to the righteousness of Christ. As little Christ, we are to be people who care about God's holiness. My grandfather served in World War II on an aircraft, character, car- not, uh, aircraft carrier. And so when Top Gun came out, I was about 15, and I remember he wanted to, to take me to see this movie, and he was excited about it because it was about fighter pilots. And I remember being mortified during the movie because there was this sex scene in it. And I remember sitting next to him, and and trying to shrink down in my seat, uh, not not at the inde- uh, indecency of the sex scene, but because I was sitting next to my grandpa. Um, what if I said to you, "Hey, let me borrow your phone for a minute. I'm just gonna play your playlist over the speakers here at church." Now, some of you are excited about that. Like, you're like, "Yeah, my playlist is the best." <laughs> some of you would be a little embarrassed. Right? Norm Carnes, he still has Hanson's mbop on his list. That's okay. But some of you would be horrified because every song contains explicit language. But that's my jam. doesn't affect me. Maybe not. There's a Native American parable that I often think of when I think of regard to my sanctification. It's the story of a grandfather using a metaphor of two wolves fighting within him to explain his inner conflicts to his grandson. When his grandson asks, which wolf wins? The grandfather answers, the one I feed the most. Which thoughts, which ideas, which worldviews, which doctrines are you feeding? Paul calls us to dwell on what is pure, what is lovely. We love pictures of of beautiful, pristine lakes and forests, waterfalls, mountains, beaches. No one is posting a picture of a dump on their Instagram account. No one has as their desktop wallpaper places that have been defiled by trash or a chemical spill or destroyed by fire or vandalism. We don't hang those pictures on our walls. Why not? Because we don't want to meditate on them. And yet, we do the equivalent in our thought life. We upload these images that are against God's holiness and then we re- replay them over and over in our minds. So I started using this app for my Apple TV called VidAngel. Uh, anyone ever hear of it? A couple of uh, it's, it's pretty cool. It puts filters on TV shows and movies so you can control the content. Uh, It tells you uh, if there's profanity or nudity, sexual content, violence, etc., and you can control how much or how little you want filtered. I can watch otherwise decent movies with my kids, and it mutes the swearing and it skips over some scenes. I also like it for myself because I believe that there is some good storytelling that wrestles with good and evil, redemption, but includes things that are harmful for my soul. And so I'm trying to be faithful to Philippians 4.8 and not subject my conscience to things that aren't. And so just for fun, um, I took an action vengeance movie, so John Wick, right? And I I took all the filters and I ramped them all the way up. It's a two-hour movie. It cut it down to 15 minutes, all right? (laughs) Here's the truth. You will not be a godly person if you do not control the TV and the videos, and the movies, and the music, and the magazines, and the books, and the video games, and even the radio programs that you take in. If something is polluting you or tempting you, get rid of it and make plans to avoid it. To think on whatever is of good repute, what is commendable. It means uh, something that deservedly enjoys a good reputation. And so where do they assume the best of another person, refusing to believe an evil report of a brother or sister in Christ until the evidence proves it. Paul uses the word excellence to mean moral virtue. There's a saying, though the author is unknown, that goes, watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. So our growth in godliness begins with our thoughts focused on the morality of God. And the result is a life that lends itself to the absence of fear, the absence of anxiety that we will get caught in an improper situation or a lie or have to hide our darker motives, our desires. We should praise the things in this world that are worthy, that point to Christ and the truths of God. Even though our world is fallen, and not all are children of God, we should be gracious and commend the reflections of God in others. Because of God's common grace, these virtues can be expressed through His image bearers, and so God is glorified when we praise what is true, beautiful, and good. So for Christians, obedience means blessing. It means we're part of God's covenant family. Because I said so, Is a good enough reason to obey God. But he tells us it is so that we will have joy and be rid of anxiety. We get Him and are made more like Him. There was a time that I wanted to go to grad school to study uh, the biochemistry of the neurons in the brain. And uh, it didn't end up happening, but I'm still fascinated by the brain. And so neuroplasticity is this scientific discovery um, that our brains can actually repair themselves. We see this in patients with severe brain trauma where portions of their brain have been damaged or uh, lost due to injury or disease. And the brain will actually actually rewire to perform the functions of the brain that are missing or damaged. It's amazing. The implications of, of this are that our brains will reinforce behavior, either good or bad. And That's why sometimes it's very difficult to break bad habits, especially if there's a strong emotional connection or a pleasurable stimuli associated with events. This is part of the increased difficulty in getting off of drugs. This is also why engaging in pornography has such a negative effect on your brain. You are actively training your body to dwell on and practice these actions. When we give into temptation, not only are we sinning, but we are training ourselves to give into it in the future. The good news is that prayer and meditation on the Bible and our reliance on the power of God can fight against this. Although this discovery is relatively new to science, we see this in Paul's writing to the church in Rome. He urges them to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so, Paul didn't know anything about brain plasticity, but He was under the inspiration of the brain creator. He commands us to think about, to dwell on, to practice training and rewiring our brains for our good and for God's glory. So, Romans 8 says, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. And just a quick aside, this does not mean that we are simply our brains. We are in souled bodies And so, our bodies affect our souls, and our souls can change and affect our bodies. We're to dwell on the things of God, but we aren't to stop at thinking. Thinking is preparation for purposeful action. And so, Paul says, the things you have learned Through my example, practice these things. And so guided by both Paul's teaching and example, especially his love for the Philippians, we are to live lives of imitation of that which is true, beautiful, and good. We are to imitate Paul because he imitates Christ. Paul is fulfilling the great commission of Christ uh, that has been repeated over 2,000 years from Jesus to us. As disciples of Christ, we were to be about making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, and teaching them of Christ. This is why we value the, the, the preaching of God's Word, meeting together on Sunday mornings, being in community groups, and discipling relationships. Finally, there's an even richer promise than the peace of God. It is the God of peace, God Himself, When we rejoice in God, when we get get more of God. When we rejoice in God, sorry, we get more of God. When we extend peace, we get more of God. When we aren't anxious but connect with God and are thankful, we get more of God. As He guards our hearts and mind with His peace, we get more of God. When we think about God, when we model and imitate God, we get more of God. The problem is that we want peace, but do we want God? Everyone wants the peace of God, but not everybody wants the God of peace. All right, here is where my sermon took this hard right turn last night. So I apologize if it's a little disjointed. Uh, I don't really like to talk about this time in my life. I don't really like talking about it right now. Uh, I wasn't gonna talk about it. In fact, it didn't even enter my mind as I was preparing the whole week long uh, for this message, but God seems to want me to talk about it. So here goes. Uh, in 2003, I was diagnosed with clinical depression. Uh, I've kind of blocked it out, a lot, a lot of that stuff, and so I only know that because um, I've kept the script the prescription uh, script all these years. Uh, I still have the script because obviously I never got it filled. Uh, The reason that I never got it filled was because I was terrified of the side effects. I was depressed, and I read the side effects, and then I had depression and anxiety. (laughs) My dad had always struggled with depression and later in life, bipolar disorder. Michelle and I had been hit really hard with the news that we were infertile and we tried just a million things to try and fix it. And every time it failed, it it was just a punch in the gut. It just knocked the wind out of me. There were days that I couldn't get out of bed. I was 60 pounds heavier and unhappy in my work life. Even though we did become pregnant, I had two beautiful little girls and a loving wife I was declared clinically depressed and a danger to myself. So, fast forward 15 years. I honestly, I can't remember the last time I was anxious or depressed. Praise God. So, what has changed? Uh, Exercise helped. Talking about it was important. But really, the things that I talked about today were essential and they were transformative in my life. Comparing the lives that I believed about God and myself and others with the truths of Scripture was a slow but radical change. Studying God's Word regularly and applying it to my life so that I could take steps of faith, trusting in Him more and more each time I did was like a weight lifted off of my chest. Godly men in my life encouraged me and held me accountable Please don't hear me say that the way that God has worked in my life is the only way He can work. And please don't stop, stop, please don't, uh, please don't stop taking your medications based on my experience. All this to say that, that, that I've been through some of this. And if you need to talk, I'm here to talk. So Paul commands us to rejoice. For those that struggle with joy, what do we do? Do we fake it? Then he says, don't be anxious. For those that struggle with anxiety and worry, it's like saying don't think about a pink elephant. He adds praying with gratitude, dwelling on what is true, good and beautiful, and then live like him. No problem, right? Just do what Paul did. Just be like Paul. No problem. It can be intimidating, and I get it. Paul loved the Philippian church and wanted what was best for them. He wanted to increase their faith through relationship with God through renovating their minds and then living lives as ambassadors of Christ. If we are anxious, worried, and fearful as a Christian, we can feel guilty. Then after a while we feel less guilty and then eventually we're fine. Or maybe we've gone through that process so many times that we get numb to it. Joy and peace from God are fruits of the Holy Spirit working in you. If they're missing from your life, don't try and justify it as just not your gifting, or maybe, maybe you were different at some point. So you see that as a phase you've gone through, or may, maybe you've, you've never experienced that, and so that's something that that's only super-Christians experience, and, and maybe you'll get there someday. What we don't see it as is a symptom of our spiritual health, and, but if something in our body isn't working right, we go see a doctor, If you need help, let's get you some help. Talk to one of the pastors. Talk to one of the elders, your youth leaders, your community group leaders. Reach out to someone and ask them to be in discipleship and accountability with you. Paul says it comes down to trusting God, this active, living faith. So ask yourself, although my conscious mind may agree that God has this attribute, the the whatever is virtues, Does my outward life demonstrate that I believe He is like that, that it's important for me to dwell on and imitate God? We become worried, anxious, and fearful because we don't trust in God's wisdom, power, or goodness. Think about it. The thing you worry about, the situation you have anxiety over, that that potential disaster, what is it? What is that possible catastrophe? Is God not wise enough to handle it? Does He instead need your constant thoughts to figure it out? Is He not strong enough to tackle it? That's certainly not the case. But our greatest concern is, what if God allows the very thing that we fear the most? Why do we presume to know what is best? In our hearts, do we believe that God is not good enough? God is the creator of everything. He made us to be in relationship with Him. We rebelled, but He made a way for us to be reconciled through His sacrifice. He has given us Himself so that we can have peace and hope to endure and live for what is best. One day it'll be all made right, and we will live in His abiding presence forever. If we really understood and believed that, we would see that these are the circumstances of joy. And they will always overcome the circumstances of momentary sadness. So God's plan is not to make our lives easy or comfortable. God is not concerned with our temporary happiness, but with our eternal joy in Him. As, as Christians, He accomplishes that through making us like Jesus. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Paul and his encouragement his love for Uh, the Philippians. God, uh, we know that this is your word to us as well. God, we want to rejoice. We want to have confidence in you. Um, God, transform our our hearts, our minds, our lives. Uh, God, we want to trust in you and live out this active, vibrant faith that is your, your hope and your purpose for us. We thank you and we praise you. Amen.